Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Our guest on Carolina Newsmakers this week is Dr. Mike Walden. He's been a frequent guest of our program, and uh, you are always working on books. What are you working on right now? Well, uh, just to plug one that's out, I, I wrote a book that was published last year that actually talks about all the things I was talking about in the last segment about maybe people could could remotely work, which allow them to live in maybe small towns, rural areas in North Carolina where the cost of living is is less. It would mean less commuting, et cetera. And it's called Relaunch, um, how the family can, uh, the American family's uh, dreams can be improved in the post-pandemic economy. And that's available where books are sold as well as online Relaunch. Um, I'm um, working on two other books right now, Don. One is a very, uh, I call it, um, uh, what do I call it? The 60-minute the investment guide. It's um, investing in something that I've, I've been interested in for a long time. At the beginning of my career, most of my talks involved investing. And I've got a lot of people, friends in the investment world. And of course, every every household goes through this. The problem, I think, is that, well, two things. One, people really need to know some information and, and not that investment advisors aren't trustworthy, but I think people need to understand what's going on. And it's not really hard to know. The problem is, in my mind, that in order to have access, usually you have to plow through 50, 40 page, maybe a 100 page, 200 page book or pamphlet or something. So what I've done in this, uh, I forgot a draft of it, the 60 minute investment guide, if I've, I've given people a, a book they can read in an hour. Uh, they can understand it. it. It doesn't cover all the investment uh, questions, but it highlights about three or four key ones that every every household is going to go through. I've got some computer programs that will go along with them, so I've got that. And then Don, I've you know I dabble in uh, fiction. Uh, I've written along with my wife Mary. We've written four fiction books. Again, you can go on Amazon to my author page and see them. One of them is we have a series, it's called, they're called economic thrillers, which a lot of people raise their eyebrows. So how can economics be thriller, thrilling? But uh, we sort of tried to teach economics through a, a thrilling story. And uh, we're working on the next installment of that. We've got a character who re, re, who reappears in all, in all of them. This will be the fourth. I actually have a political thriller that's the fifth. So that's keeping me busy along with my consulting projects, along with speaking. So um, I think you have, a, you have to have a plan when you're retired. I like to be busy and I'm continuing to be busy. So thanks for asking. <laughs> well, you're always up to something interesting and always have been. And so the I, I don't see the about all you retired from is the classroom. That's about it. Otherwise, it's pretty much business as usual in, in the case of Mike Walden. Well, let's talk about interest rates and mortgage rates, mm -hmm. because uh, uh, I'm sure our listeners are very interested in where you think interest rates are going um, and also mortgage rates. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll talk about the Federal Reserve and their interest rate policy. Uh, one of the powers of the Federal Reserve, Don, is they control a couple of interest rates themselves. They can move up and down. Usually other interest rates follow. So indirectly, the Federal Reserve can push uh, your mortgage rate, your interest rate on a personal loan up or down. They've been moving their key rates up. Uh, the most, most key is called the federal funds rate. Essentially, they pushed it down to zero during the pandemic to encourage people to borrow money and spend because the whole point was keep the economy afloat. They've now, now moved that up to close to 5%, 4.75%. I think they're going to go further. Uh, they meet, uh, what, every six weeks, I think. I think they're going to go further. My uh, forecast is that federal funds rate will go up to six. And that should <clears throat> that should cause... Oh, excuse me. 
that should cause other interest rates to follow. For example, the um, got to take a sip of water. Sorry, sorry. The um, <clears throat> thirty-year mortgage rate, which during the pandemic had gotten to the unbelievably low level, Don, of under three percent, unheard of. It is now. I just looked this morning. It is now over seven percent. It had had actually trended downward about six months ago, but it's back seven percent. So that'll probably uh, go higher. So this will all make it more difficult. I know people ask me, well, Walden, why are they doing this? Uh, I want to buy a house. Well, actually, the Federal Reserve doesn't want you to buy a house. They want, again, to slow down spending in the economy. And for for solace to the people who ask me that question, I say, well, it could have been worse. They say, well, how so? Well, I say, when I tried to buy my first house, my wife and I, in the early 80s, I, I say to them, do you know what the mortgage rate was, the average mortgage rate? And they say, well, no, I don't know, 5 6%. I said, I say, try 17%. And they don't yes. believe me. They don't believe me. Yeah. So it could be worse. But I do think for the, for the force near future, Don, interest rates are headed up. I'm fingers crossed if, if the Federal Reserve is is uh, is able to get the inflation rate to a much lower level. Again, I, I earlier talked about maybe four or three by the end of the year. I think they'll start to let up on the break. I think they'll start to, to lower interest rates. Possibly a year from now, they might be in an interest rate lowering move. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch. And as, as we've said, the economy seems to have kind of a mind of its own these days because there's so many conflicting things that are going on that. Uh, uh, seem to conflict uh, uh, and and could have a big impact on changing. I want to get back to something we talked about earlier, and that's the long-range role of our country and its relationships with India and China, mm -hmm. uh, because these are two huge companies, countries, and we have a sort of a different relationship with each of these countries, and they sort of have a different philosophy of where they're going. So where do you see them going? Well, um, a lot of people don't know the history of this. I know you do, that China came out of World War II, an extremely devastated country. Uh, it had been uh, somewhat economically a backward country for most of the 20th century. It had had a lot of foreign powers in, in the country uh, controlling things. So they came out of World War II very, very poor. Uh, they had been taken over by, by the communists. Mao Zedong, of course, was a dictator for many, many years. And his uh, his goal was to bring China back. China, of course, a um, thousand years ago was a prominent country, probably the most prosperous country in the on the globe. Um, big breakthrough, big change was when President Nixon, former President Nixon, who had been a, a vowed anti-communist uh, during his uh, political career, he went to China. He was totally surprised the world. I can remember this. I was in graduate school and totally surprised the world. Went to China, shook, Mao, uh, shook Mao's hands open up natural relations with China. And that started the, the bonding, if you will, between the U.S. and China. And China had a, a, a lot of laborers there. And so our co companies went over there and set up factories. Labor was cheaper they, so they could get products made cheaper and sell them cheaper in our country. Now, I think the question is, uh, with China now at an economic point where they can have a military that some say rivals ours and they're, they're rattling their sabers, they went Taiwan, there's talk about them uh, sending equipment to help Russia in the Ukraine war. And we are now at a more adversarial position in terms of geopolitics. We still are, are, are joined at the hip in terms of economics. And the question is, uh, can we uh, uh, break that join at the hips? Can we start to move co companies out of the uh, 
China into other places, maybe India or back to the U.S. That's much easier said than done. But I think a lot of people are looking, and, and I think under President Trump, this started, and President Biden has also uh, raised concerns about China. The, the the key here is is can we live uh, peacefully with China? Can we can we have normal economic relations with them, and can we have normal uh, foreign relations with them? And that's the big question. They mentioned India. India, a lot of people forget India. India is a massively big country. They're going to top China soon in population. Uh, they have immense capabilities. They have an economy that's that's headed in a in a in a, in a very robust way. And uh, some say that what needs to happen is we need to cozy up to India more. Uh, we need, if we're going to have foreign factories, have them in India rather than in China. And of course, China and India have not played well uh, each other. They've had little skirmishes on the border. Um, right now, though, India is not helping because they're buying oil from Russia. So that's not helping our our uh, objective of, of shutting off oil sales from Russia. So very complicated matter. But I think, Don, you put your point, your, your finger right on the key point. Uh, those two countries, India and China, they're going to determine a lot of what happens. North. My personal view is that the heyday of Russia is over. I think this. I think the war with Ukraine has been so devastating to them. And this is way outside my lane, but I think it's been so devastating to their economy, to their population, to their youth, uh, the kind of losses they're sustaining on the battlefield. I think at some point, just my view, Putin will be removed and Russia will sort of lick its wounds and say, hey, we're going to play nice and, and they may, may very well. I think that means that China and, and India will be on the on the verge of eclipsing Russia. Where do you see uh, uh, India and China? Will they uh, embrace Russia before us or us before Russia? Uh, you mean a new Russia or the current Russia? I mean, China's no, already uh, China's already embracing the current Russia, and the, the latest concern is they're going to send right. weapons to, to Russia. They've been buying their oil. Uh, India's probably been buying oil not because they really like Russia and they want Russia to to um, win in Ukraine. I think they're buying oil simply because that's an option for them and they need oil to to improve their economy. Uh, so hopefully down the road, I mean, if everything worked out nice, we could settle our differences with, with China and be friends with everyone. But I think, frankly, probably we're going to stay the, the next Cold War, if it's not already started, I mean, cold, not hot, hopefully not hot is between the U.S. And, and and China. I think that's going to be the big dynamic in the world. And uh, hopefully India is going to be an ally with, with the U.S. They've, they've been natural enemies with China. So I would think they would play be more on the side of the U.S. in this emerging uh, uh, rivalry. Where, uh, okay, so where does Japan fit into all this? Uh, well, Japan, of course, is is remilitarizing uh, with our, with our um, um, uh, support uh, Japan when they come out of World War II it essentially said we're not going to we're not going to maintain an army uh, we, you know, the, the horrors of World War II and we're going to be very very passive we're going to be pacifist they spent a very very a modest amount on military more for uh, uh, personal security in, in the Japanese islands uh, now they see the threat of, of China so I think I think if I recall right uh, correctly they've recently announced they're actually going to double their, their military budget, their defense budget, and as a percent of uh, gross domestic product. So I think we're we're hoping and we're looking. I think if we, if we do have some kind of engagement with China, I mean, certainly we we hope that doesn't occur. But let's say if 
if China invades Taiwan and we come to Taiwan's help, I might I would expect that Japan would be there uh, helping us. I think also the Philippines would be helping us, but I think Japan is much more capable militarily. Well, it's an interesting dynamic that's going on. And of course, you know, one of the things is, is interesting is can the United States and China afford to have a war with each other because of how much their economies are inter interacting? Yeah. Well, that, you know, that that was that was one of the theories, because uh, I can remember there were folks uh, 40 years ago who worried about if we start to engage China, they're going to grow and they're going to be at some point maybe a military threat. But the, the, there, there was a point of view that said, no, no, if you, if you have economic relations with, between countries and, and they're each dependent upon the other, that's a way of to avoiding, avoiding war. So I think you, you've, you, we may come to a test of that, Don. We may come to a test of that because we've, yeah. we've told, I think, I think the Biden administration has, has not shied away from, from communicating the viewpoint to China that, hey, if you invade Taiwan, we're going to be there for Taiwan. And uh, you're absolutely right. Um, China has built up a, a, an economy. They've built up a standard of living for their folks. They have a massive infrastructure. Uh, their financial cap, uh, financial capital. So hopefully, if if they make the decision that they want Taiwan, uh, they will come to their senses and say, "Is it really worth um, a catastrophic uh, situation for our country?" Because uh, I don't know how we would respond, but ultimately we would we would respond in a way that would take out some of the Chinese uh, infrastructure. So, yeah, I think that there'll be there could be a test of that. If you have commercially tied countries, does that reduce dramatically the likelihood that they'll ever go to war against each other? We may have a test of that coming up. Well, we got, I guess, kind of a test with the Ukraine situation. Uh, well, we do. Uh, not that I mean, with uh, with Russia, our, our uh, economic ties to Russia have been minimal when you compare our ties with uh, with uh, China. And yeah, I think we're having a test right now when China has made noises about, well, we might we might provide some weaponry to to Russia. And we've already, I think, Secretary Blinken has already publicly said, no, that wouldn't be a good idea. We would not like that. So we may have a mini test of that right now. Yeah. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden. We have one final segment, and we're sort of wrap up uh, thoughts on the North Carolina economic situation and sort of review some of the things we've already talked about in this final segment. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain sleet and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon... There's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. 
A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Dr. Mike Walden, retired professor of economics at North Carolina State University and uh, well known for his uh, opinions here in North Carolina on the North Carolina economy and uh, a person that so many people depend on for good advice in the area of projecting what's going to happen in North Carolina. Well, you know, I guess one of the things we can say about North Carolina is that it appears that we're going to continue to have population growth, especially in certain areas of the state. Uh, North Carolina seems to be a target of a lot of industry, and people find it pleasant to live here. So population growth appears to be something that we're going to have to learn to live with, and that comes with burdens because the infrastructure has to be there. Uh, it does increase the tax base and uh, probably brings better paying jobs and things of this nature. But population growth is sort of a two-sided sword. And sometimes you have to be careful which end of the knife you're holding when you talk about things like that. You're, you're right, Don. I mean, I, I've lived in Raleigh all the time. I've been here in North Carolina, which is going on 45 years. Um and I and I look. I'm amazed when I drive around Raleigh. For example, if I drive down Hillsborough Street from NC State campus to downtown, it's just amazing how Hillsborough Street has changed. I mean, you got 30, 30 story, 20, 30 story buildings, and and that's not just Hillsborough Street. So clearly, Raleigh is on the move, growth wise. Uh, Charlotte the same way, Triad the same way. I think the big challenge for North Carolina mm -hmm. is to sort of spread the wealth uh, geographically. Uh, because if you look at the data, clearly the big metros have been the, the, the sort of racehorses in North Carolina. Uh, they're on the map. Now, one of the things I use to gauge how important North Carolina has become was when you watch the weather on a national channel in the morning and they show the they showed select cities. Usually every morning it's either Raleigh or Charlotte is on there, used to never be on there or, or sometime both is on there. So we, we've uh, we now hit the world stage, certainly the national stage. Everyone knows about us. You're absolutely right. Businesses want to come here. The challenge is if you bring all those people into the people are moving here and the businesses that are moving here, if you bring them all into the metro areas, you're going to get downside problems in terms of congestion, how how your housing prices, et cetera. So I think our challenge is to sort of spread the wealth, uh, have some of those businesses locate outside of the big metros where uh, people need the jobs, where the economies are not as robust. Uh, and I think there are some ways to do that. I was talking, you were talking about, and I was adding to it about this, I think, an amazing development between the Triangle and Triad with the, um, uh, I'll call it the new energy corridor with uh, Wolf Speed and, and uh, Toyota Battery Factory and, and Vinfast. And the benefit of that is, uh, if you can visualize that, this is going to be able to bring in workers who are in rural counties, both north of I-40 and south of I-40, to work at those facilities, as well as a lot of other companies, smaller companies that are located. So I think that's exactly what North Carolina needs, but we need it in other areas also. So I think that's the big challenge. How can we spread the wealth? How can we spread the companies? How can we spread the jobs, the good paying jobs? The other thing I might mention, Don, that we need to keep our eye on is that the the, the job market is always changing, and I think it's going to particularly change over the next uh, several decades as technology becomes more, more becomes more capable of doing things. And so we need we're going to need different different kinds of jobs going to emerge with different kinds of skill needs. And so we need to be ready 
to not not just train new people in these skills, but retrain existing people who may find that they're in a job that they were doing for 20 or 30 years and bamo it's gone. So they gotta they gotta upskill for something else. And the good the good news is we have extremely good community colleges, we have extremely good four-year universities, but I'm talking about um, training programs that will be relatively to, to the point and very short because think about if you've got a uh, household where the the breadwinners, if you will, now find they need to change their skills. They've got uh, family to support. They don't have time to spend four years or maybe even two years. They need rapid training. So I think we need to think about that. Um, I think we also need to think, Don, about even as early as middle or grade or high school, about exposing students to uh, careers beyond just academic careers, beyond college. Um, I, I spoke to the home builders recently, and they were telling me about a, uh, they got funding from the General Assembly to equip a couple of big um, tractor trailer trucks, maybe, with this audiovisual equipment that will allow students to come in, set down, and um, engage in sort of artificial reality of them working as a plumber or a welder, et cetera, to expose them to those kinds of jobs. And uh, they were telling me that they were they were getting great great response from the the students saying wow i want to think about, i want to think about that and actually they're going to lobby the general assembly to to do more of these so i think we need to expose students to the variety of skills that are out there don't push them but certainly make them aware that there are lots of skills out there that still require you using your hands those old craft skills and uh cuz we need them very important part of the economy uh, and, and as we have growth even more so because of the growth. Broadband, uh, North Carolina, are we still slightly ahead of where we need to be? Uh, how much more do we need to do there? Uh, well, I don't have any precise numbers for you, but we're moving in the right direction. Uh, where was I down? I was in um, Sampson County, uh, Clinton, Sampson County, uh, doing a talk. And uh, before I got up on the stage, I was talking to, to folks at the breakfast table. We, it was a breakfast meeting. And I've some, I've met some people who were involved in uh, broadband sales, and they were very excited about how broadband is expanding in, um, in in Sampson County. And of course, that's going to be key. If you want, I talked earlier about the possibility of people working remotely, which will allow them maybe to move out of the metros where prices are high and congestion is intense, and and still work at maybe a big company, a big tech company in the Triangle or, or Charlotte or whatever. But you need broadband. You need broadband to do that. And so it looks like we're moving in that direction. We're certainly not there with 100% broadband. I keep talking about how one of the solutions may be what, uh, and I'm, I'm just throwing this name out, everyone knows Elon Musk has a company that um, has satellites in the air that are what are called low orbiting satellites. So the reception is much better than if you were dealing with a satellite 25,000 miles up. Uh, it's And um, uh, it's called Starlink. And uh, I saw they passed the million person uh, or million household mark in terms of customers. Uh, that might be another part of the solution uh, in addition to laying cable or stringing wires across telephone poles. But yeah, we got to get there. I mean, a modern economy, in the modern economy, every location that wants to be viable economically, or most every location that wants to be viable economically, needs access to high-speed internet. Well, economic growth, of, of course, is very important. And, and as we've talked about, North Carolina has, what, 25 counties that 
don't seem to have that problem right now, but we've got those other 75 that have varying degrees of problems with their economy. Some are more severe than others. Uh, where do we stand on uh, wind energy as far as a source of energy off the coast of North Carolina? Uh, I don't know the details on that, Don, but I do know that I think the governor uh, just signed or were close to signing a, uh, a plan uh, primarily for uh, Duke Energy for outlining a plan for energy delivery in North Carolina. And there's going to be heavy emphasis on solar. Of course, you can drive around, you see solar panels. I've not yet seen any uh, uh, wind turbine panels, but they may be there and they may be coming. Um, uh, interestingly, the plan also talks about the importance of nuclear. Um, there's some exciting things happening in nuclear, and I know people sometimes uh, put their hands up and say, oh, nuclear, what if happens But there's an accident? Well, I think the track record on nuclear is very, is it's very, very safe, and it also doesn't emit CO2s. Um, and, and so we, yeah, we're, I think we're in the process. We may have already been signed on the deal, but I think, I think we did, or the governor did. So we're in the process of having a plan for, for North Carolina. The trick, of course, Don, is that we don't want to be in a situation where, uh, we're in transition from, uh, fossil fuel based to renewable based, or, and I'm going to include nuclear as renewable and, um, uh, that we don't match. And so we have to endure some some uh, some blackouts and some uh, brownouts, et cetera. And of course, uh, Duke had we went we had an episode of that. Uh, what was it over the holiday period? So that's that's one of the tricks. And I think one of the big challenges for renewables is um, uh, storage, uh, developing the storage. And I think this plan that Duke Power has put forward is going to enormously increase increase their storage capacity. Uh, but we're not there yet. So there are a lot of parts to this that we have to make sure they all work in tandem so that when we do move, when we move, say, one step toward uh, uh, renewable, that uh, we've got that covered so that we can take a step back from the fossil fuels. Mike, we've got a little less than two minutes for you to do this, but for those who have joined the program uh, after the first segment where we talked about inflation and recession, and interest rates, would you sort of bring us a final summary, uh, uh, repeating some of the information that you shared with us earlier in that first segment of exactly what you're expecting in the area of the possible slowdown in the economy? Uh, the well, inflation we're in this, and yeah, rates. we're in this we're in this situation, Don, where uh, the federal government, particularly the Federal Reserve, wants to slow the economy in order to contain inflation. That's one of the ways you do it. Uh, and we're in that process and we're beginning to see some, some indications the economy is slowing. Uh, I didn't mention tech companies. Tech companies have been laying off a lot of people and I've had people say to me, Oh, Walden, what's going on there? Is this the end of tech? And I said, no, uh, tech employment exploded during the pandemic up 250%. And I think what tech has realized now they, they overdid it. So they are pulling back a little bit, but they're still well beyond where they were uh, pre-pandemic. And that, that, in my mind, is certainly the industry, one of the industries of the future. So, so we're in a period of time here now where we're trying to have a slower economy in order to take the pressure off of prices, lower the inflation rate, but without causing a recession. That's the big trick. Hopefully we can do it. Hopefully the Federal Reserve can do it, but, but maybe not. But if we have a recession, in my view, in my view, and I, I will say most economists are in this camp. It'll be it'll be mild and short, maybe two quarters. Maybe uh, unemployment might go from three and a half up to four and a half. Uh, but still, that's very very low for a recession. 
So I think that's the big challenge right now in the, in the sort of the macro economy. Some people say to me, well, Walden, uh, North Carolina's got such a strong economy. If we have a nationwide recession, will, you, will we even feel it? Yes, we will. Maybe not as, as bad as other places, but yes, we will. Even the big metros of Raleigh and, and Charlotte and the Triad, et cetera, will feel it. Uh, so this is the challenge this year. How do we get inflation to be lower to where people can afford things now, where they can they can have a chance of their income keeping up with higher prices without putting the economy uh, in, in arrears, if you will, with a bona fide recession, where importantly, we get a big uh, drop in employment. I don't see that happening, but that is the challenge. Mike, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Always so interesting, and we appreciate it. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and find the entire broadcast. Or if you missed any of the segments, you can find those isolated segments. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong. He promises me faithfully that he will have another interesting guest for us again next week on the same group of stations. So the next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.